The first half of John's gospel is filled with signs, miracles that are designed to show us who Jesus is and why he came. Jesus fed 5,000 with just a few loaves and a couple of fish. He walked on water proving his power. And yet while people saw the signs, they didn't see that which was signified. They didn't look past the miracle to Jesus himself. And so we find in John chapter 6, Jesus' explanation, a description of why he has come. We're in John chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 22 through 40. We'll finish the chapter this morning, but I'm going to begin by reading just this selection. John chapter 6, beginning at verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, What sign do you give that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Let me pray that God would apply his word to our lives, that the spirit would be active. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the ministry of Jesus, our Savior, for the truth that we find in Jesus alone. Lord, I ask that, that we who come with, with questions would find answers in your word, that, that those of us who come feeling overwhelmed would find a comfort and peace that we would find here in the offer that is made to us by our Savior, the bread of heaven. 
the gift of eternal life, the forgiveness of sins, a union and communion with our Savior. So, Lord, give us the faith to believe. We come praying in the name of Jesus. Amen. It's obligatory as a dad to make my kids pose for pictures on family vacation. So, of course, I made my kids climb out of our our rental vehicle in front of the iconic Yellowstone National Park sign. I mean, the park designs these signs for you to stop and take pictures at. I mean, they put extra parking spaces right there so dads like me can pester my kids for pictures. And it really is a great, a great location for a, a picture. The, the name of the park there in big white letters on that brown background, the, the arrowhead logo of the National Park Service, and then in the background, the beautiful mountains of Yellowstone. But it'd be foolish to take that picture and then turn around before you enter the park. To just end your trip there at the sign just outside the entrance. You haven't visited Yellowstone by stopping at the sign. A family picture might help the memories linger, but you haven't actually experienced the park. You've only had the National Park experience after you enter. You actually see the sights. You get out and walk around. The sign tells you what you'll see. It tells you where you're at. But you have to actually go into the park to see that which the sign signifies. Jesus fed 5,000. Five small loaves, two little fish, with leftovers, like basketfuls of leftovers. The, the people saw the sign, but they misunderstood what they were seeing. They wanted to make Jesus king by force. They wanted him for their own political power. And so when the crowd catches up with Jesus back on the other side of the lake in Capernaum, Jesus explains what the sign meant. Eating your fill of bread and fish on the hillside and not understanding the gift of eternal life is like driving all the way to a national park just for a picture at the entrance sign. Yeah, you've got one cool experience you can brag about, but you've missed the entire point. To be on the hillside and fed until you were full, to have seen the miracle, I mean, that's remarkable. To have been there and yet to misunderstand what Jesus was saying means you've missed the whole point. Because Jesus tells us in John chapter 6 that the miracle was a sign that pointed to himself. He is the bread of life. I mean, he says it so many times now in the explanation that, that you would really now have to be foolish to miss it. Look at verse 35. After having talked about true bread that God sent from heaven, in verse 35, he says it explicitly. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And then we'll hear it repeated. I'm going to read the rest of the chapter later, but but you'll hear it repeated. Look at verse 41. Even as the people grumble, they realize what he had said. I'm the bread that came down from heaven. Or verse 48, Jesus repeats this important statement. I am the bread of life. 
In verse 51, he again says that, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Jesus makes clear the sign, the miracle, was meant to point you not to physical bread, not to bread that you chew and swallow, but to me, the gift of God who has come from heaven. And so the, the sign is, it's easier for us to understand once Jesus begins to explain it. And yet the the people struggle with it. The the passage begins as they're now back on the other side of the lake, as they realize Jesus isn't here, that he has somehow gotten away without them noticing because he walked across the lake in the middle of the night during a storm. It's kind of hard to keep track of that. But they ask Jesus in, in verse 25, when did you get here? Like, when did you come here? How did you slip away from us? I mean, they're asking a when question when they should really be asking the how. There was one boat, and you weren't in it. Like, how did you get here? If you walked around, I mean, did you, like, did you run? Like, was this a marathon sprint around the lake? Because we came straight across in a boat. There's no way you could have beaten us here. I mean, they should ask the how question, because then they'd have given another sign, another miracle that that only the the disciples saw. But, But John, in describing this to us, He gives us the words of Jesus in verse 26. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. See, they, I mean, in one sense, they saw the sign. They saw the miracle. But Jesus' point is, you didn't understand the sign. You're here, you're following me because I filled your stomachs. But that's an easy task, really. You didn't really see the sign. You didn't understand what was happening. And so they, they ask him then later in, in verse 30, what sign will you do that we may see and believe? This crowd that just saw the miracle of Jesus feeding 20,000 people with five loaves and two fish now demands a sign. Well, Jesus, give us a sign then. If, if you're all about the signs, then show us a sign. They've they've completely missed the sign that was right there in front of them. And as one commentator says, the, the, the temptation that we have, that like, if I could have just seen it, like if I could just see what happened, if I could have been there in the moment, then I would believe. Well, it's, it's probably not true because most of the people who saw Jesus' miracles still doubted him. One commentator says, mere miracles can actually be corrosive of genuine faith because you're chasing the sign not the Savior. You're looking for his power, but not responding to his person. And so the conversation quickly turns back to bread. Jesus has just explained to them that that you're here because you ate your fill of the loaves. And then he tells them, don't work for food that perishes. I'm giving you the gift of eternal life. That's his argument in verse 27. So they want to know, well, what do we need to do What's required of us? And Jesus gives them one thing. There's only one thing that you have to do, verse 29. This is the work of God. What is it? That you believe in Jesus. You believe in the one whom God the Father has sent. So the people demand another sign. They say, well, I mean, Moses gave the people manna in the wilderness. Jesus, what are you going to do? If you are as big and powerful and great as Moses, what can you do for us? Well, the reality is he just gave them the miracle of Moses, didn't he? I mean, just the day before. He gave them the miracle of bread. But but Jesus says, 
It, it wasn't really Moses, verse 32. It was God, my Father, who gives you the true bread from heaven. And they ask for this bread, and Jesus says, I am the bread of life. This is the first of those famous I am statements in the Gospel of John. I mean, Jesus has used the phrase I am, which has big theological connotations, but, but there are seven times that he gives us that, that statement with a predicate. Here, I am the bread of life. We'll see it unfold in the chapters which follow. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. The Gospel of John has Jesus, the Savior, standing in front of us and revealing himself to us as the bread of heaven. The one who meets our deepest desires, who satisfies our longings. And not just in the moment. I mean, the argument is here is that, that they're asking, well, give us this bread always. Like, I mean, give us, give us some today, and then we'll be back tomorrow, and you give us some tomorrow, and give us... And Jesus is explaining to them that, that I am the bread of life. Look again at verse 35. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He's offering them a gift which lasts forever. He is the one who, verse 33 tells us, gives his life for the world. This is a food, verse 27, that endures to eternal life. He, he says in verse 40 that what, what are we called to do? Believe in Jesus, and we should have eternal life. The bread from heaven is the gift of eternal life. And remember, in John's gospel, this eternal life is a present possession. It's something you get as soon as you believe in Jesus. Yes, it has a, a temporal signifier attached to us. It will last forever. I mean, Jesus tells us about what's coming, that, that he's going to raise us up on the last day. But, but it's not merely about it will start on that day. It's that right now you have the gift of eternal life, of a relationship with God, of being united to Jesus, dependent upon him, of putting your trust in Jesus. Jesus is explaining to us that he is the one who nourishes and sustains us. He gives us eternal life, life with him right here, and now, Jesus is the bread from heaven. But then he expands the metaphor. It actually begins to get a little messy. He speaks of flesh and blood, his body that he gives for us. So listen as I continue to read. This is John chapter 6 now at verse 41. So the, Drew, the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the father except he was from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that the one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. 
If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Jesus speaks of the bread of heaven, but then describes himself, the bread as as his own flesh. It's there in verse 51. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. His body, his physical self. Now, the people have already argued that, well, I mean, isn't this just Jesus? Like, Mary and Joseph's kid? Like, that Jesus? Like, he's just an ordinary guy, right? How can he claim to be from heaven? Well, see, that, that's the truth that we need, is that he is both just an ordinary guy who came from heaven. He really is a man standing in front of them in the flesh, the one who will willingly give his life for them. And so this, this image of bread then becomes a bloody image as he, as he shifts the metaphor to his own body, his body broken. And so this causes a dispute among the people. I mean, what is he talking about? We were talking about bread, and now he's talking about his flesh. How can he give us his flesh to eat? I mean, it's, it's almost the same way that, that Nicodemus asked the question, Jesus, how can a man be born again when he's old? Like, what are you talking about, Jesus? And yet there, in, Nicode- in Nicodemus's answer, there's, there's a desire to learn more. Here, they are disputing among themselves. They are antagonistic toward Jesus. They have already been grumbling against Jesus. They're, they're now able, I mean, a, a, a metaphor of bread, we get it. You eat bread, it nourishes you, it strengthens you. But now flesh, you want me to eat your flesh? This doesn't, I mean, in, in any worldview, this seems absurd and bizarre. I mean, what is Jesus talking about? It's a disgusting image, flesh and blood. And yet he says, truly, truly, verse 53, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. For the Jews, there were prohibitions on drinking blood. In the book of Leviticus, it's repeated then in the New Testament, this prohibition in the book of Acts. And yet, what what is Jesus telling us? This is the first time that he makes a promise to give his life for us. This bloody image is a picture of death, a violent death, flesh and blood on display, and yet Jesus is the one who has come down from God, who knows the purposes for which God sent him. Jesus' sacrifice is voluntary. He willingly comes. It's vicarious. He dies in our place that we might live. 
And so the image, it, 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 it captures the same idea as this language of the bread of life, the real food that we are meant to eat, what we are meant to do. When we take food, we are nourished and sustained, and yet what Jesus gives us, his own life, does that even better. The miracle of manna in the wilderness had to be repeated every day. And then what happened to all of those people? They died for their sinfulness before entering the promised land. And yet Jesus gives us a gift, his own life, that leads to eternal life. What food was meant to do, Jesus does even better. And yet in some sense, the, the language of John 6, it, it actually isn't all that shocking to those of us who are Christians because we talk about flesh and blood a lot. I mean, every month we pull this table out and say, come to this table, eat this bread, it's the body of Christ. Drink this cup, it's the blood of Christ. Because the, the images which Jesus gives them as metaphors here become visible, tangible things that you and I as a church are meant to do later, after Jesus gives his life for us. He institutes this supper. And it's not that he's trying to explain the Lord's Supper here without telling them about the Lord's Supper. It's just that John 6 and the Lord's Supper both point to the same thing. They're both signs pointing to the reality that, that when you believe in Jesus, you have fed upon him. You are nourished by him. When you believe in Jesus, then you are united to him by faith. Because the promise that Jesus gives in giving his body, the bread gives us the hope of eternal life. In giving his body, it comes with that same hope of life that lasts forever. Because even as he describes his death, he reminds us that he is the one who will be raised and who will raise us on the last day. We saw back in verses 39 and 40, he's already made the argument that the will of God, the one who sent Jesus, he says in verse 39, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. He repeats it in the very next verse. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Just so that we don't miss it. He says it multiple times more. Look again at verse 44. He, he warns the people not to grumble, and he says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Ten verses later in verse 54, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus is hammering this point home, that to believe in him is to trust that his death his bloody, violent death gives us eternal life. But it's a trust that, that here is, is hammered home with the truth that Jesus is the one who will live because he will raise us up on the last day. That everyone who has put his or her trust in Jesus has the promise of eternal life. A promise now as a present possession, but it has eternal impact. When we speak of the flesh of Jesus, when he describes eating his flesh, drinking his blood, it's that same metaphor of being nourished and strengthened by him. But now specifically by putting our trust in Jesus, in his death and resurrection. And so how are we meant to respond? Well, first, let's look at the way that 
that the crowds and the disciples respond. Let me finish reading the chapter. John chapter 6, beginning at verse 60. When many of the disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard teaching who can listen to it. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. The people hearing Jesus speak about bread from heaven, and then specifically Jesus speak about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, they, they say, verse 60, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? A, a hard saying, not because it's hard to understand. I think they actually, the, the problem is, it's not that they're left confused. The problem is that they understand what Jesus is saying. He's saying that he has come from heaven to give his life, and now he's going to repeat to them, and he's going back to heaven, and he's the one with authority to grant eternal life, and who will raise up those who have believed on the last day. See, the people struggle not because Jesus, what Jesus says is confusing. They struggle because what Jesus says is clear, that you have to put your trust in him, that his death is your only hope, that salvation is found only in him. It's a gift given only to those whom the Father calls. See, the command to believe, it, the, the command is that we must trust in Jesus. We must rely on him alone. We must, we must find hope in him alone. Now, actually, if you've been listening, not just as we've talked about the bread and the body of Christ, but, but you've heard this command, believe, throughout this chapter. It's repeated again and again. That's why by the time you get to the end, the people know what's expected of them. This is a hard saying. I'm not willing to believe. I'm not willing to follow Jesus because he has made it clear. In verse 29, he told them, What's the work of God? This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. He repeats it in verse 35 in telling them he's the bread of life. He says, whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Verse 40, what are we called to do? What is the will of God? To look on the Son and believe in him. Verse 47, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Salvation is found right here in Jesus by trusting in him, believing what he says, hearing his words, and then understanding it to be true. 
This passage shows us the power of Jesus, even his sovereign power. How could we trust him? It's because he is the one whom, who was sent by the Father who has all power and authority. If you trust in Jesus, if you belong to him, then you are truly his. Look again at verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Jesus says, if you believe, then you belong to him. He, he says that, that he is the one who, who will lose none of what the, the Father in heaven has given him. Verse 39, but will raise it up on the last day. If you've trusted in Jesus, then you have the guarantee that you belong to him. Jesus understands everything that's happening right in front of him. He even knows what the, the motives in the, in the hearts of the people. He says in verse 64, some of you do not believe. And then John explains it to us. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And even as he speaks to his disciples, he doesn't even commend Simon Peter for, for the, the word of faith. Jesus reminds them, you believe because it was given to you by the Father to believe. Did I not choose you? And then he reminds them. Now explicitly, he tells them that one of the twelve is a devil. And John, so that we as readers know exactly which of the twelve we're talking about, I mean, it's not a surprise as you read through the Gospel of John. You know it's coming. That it's Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Because Jesus knows this is going to happen. This is why he's come, to give his flesh, to give his blood for us. Jesus accomplishes the will of the Father. Jesus has foreknowledge of his purpose. He knows who will believe. Jesus' sovereign power is to keep those who believe to the very end. And so when he asks the disciples, do you want to go away as well? The crowds are leaving. They were full yesterday, but today they're hungry. And so they're walking away. Lord, to whom shall we go? Where could we go? Where will you go? Do you believe? I'm not asking merely if you have faith in some abstract sense. You would describe yourself as a religious person or a spiritual person. I'm asking specifically, do you have faith in Jesus Christ alone? Because we sometimes balk at the idea that there could be only one way of salvation, that Jesus would be the only way, that, that you can't come to the Father unless the Father calls you, unless Jesus gives his life for you. So we sometimes think that, that having only one way of salvation is, is unfair. As if we naively assume that we could figure out a way of salvation on our own. Like, Jesus, why does it have to be that way? I'm sure I could come up with another good idea. Like, I could, I could get this done on my own. We, we assume that there were many ways to God, but then God narrowed it down and chose just one. Like, we could have gotten to you all these other ways, but you picked just one. That's not fair. But in reality, there is no hope of salvation apart from God's intervention. We haven't moved from multiple ways of salvation down to one. 
We moved from zero ways of salvation up to one. I mean, this is like parents standing in the the hospital receiving the tragic news of of a terminal diagnosis for their child. But then the doctor says, but I have good news. There is a proven and reliable treatment we can begin right now. The parents wouldn't say, well, if there's only one choice, we're not going to take it. We will only choose a life-saving measure for our child if there were a menu of options placed in front of us. No, of course. If you're facing death, then having one way to be saved is all that you need. And that's what Jesus offers. Simon Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Like, where else could we possibly find what we're looking for? You have the words of eternal life. Our only hope is in Jesus. And yet we are tempted to turn elsewhere, to chase after our own pleasures, to pursue our own power. We're tempted to trust ourselves to invent a religious or moral structure that's comfortable to us, to take off what we see as the rough edges, but we are always left exhausted. Have we done enough? Was there enough good works that I've accomplished here? But the only work that we're asked to do is to believe, to throw ourselves upon Jesus, to trust in him. Lord, to whom shall we go? These are not the panicked words of someone who doesn't know where to start. The answer is right in front of him. He saw the signs, but then he turned from the sign to Jesus. Jesus, you have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Through the death of Jesus, we gain eternal life. Through his resurrection from the dead, we are promised our resurrection at the last day. And so you stand this morning in front of the Holy One, the Savior of the world, the bread of life who died for you, Will you believe in Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? Father, I pray that you would apply the truth of this gospel message to us, that we would receive it as Jesus intended, as good news for helpless sinners. Lord, that those who wonder or worry about their standing before you would find in the power of Jesus a comfort, that our salvation relies not upon what we can accomplish, but what Jesus has already done. Lord, give us faith to believe in this gift that's given to us, Jesus, the Savior, the bread of heaven. Lord, we ask that you would give us a comfort in the eternal life that we have, that we would live out of this, this truth, that we would come to know and understand the words of our Savior, that in this gospel we would find our salvation In Jesus, our Savior, we pray in his name. Amen.